Morning. Morning. One of the central uh, ideas behind this series of messages, uh, Life, Live on Purpose, that we've been doing over these last three weeks, uh, the last couple weeks that we've gotten here together, is that our surroundings, that is, you know, your circumstances, your... Um, the challenges that you have, the, 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 um, the fears even that you have, even, even you might say your, your personal pain, our surroundings, the things we carry around with us or the life, you know, the, the, the limits that we move through every single day are more decisive in your life or in my life than God is or than your Lord is if you are a Christian here this morning in making progress in your life. Those are the real gating factors. Those are the real limiting factors in your life. Life has always been full. It's not new to our generation of obstacles and um, complications for people who want to live their life on purpose. But for people of faith, if you're a person of faith, for those of us who have faith, if you have faith, if I have faith, your faith is an opportunity in the midst of complications, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of real obstacles, to reach out and grab hold of God in the midst of those to move forward. Kind of like that woman, if you know the story, who in, the, in this crowded room of people or, 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 or press of people, she just reaches out and grabs a hold of Jesus' coat, right? And power is released, okay? That's true, uh, can be true for us. And we're gonna see a story like that in where we are this morning. If you have a copy of the Bible where we left off, we'll, we'll find our lives, uh, uh, maybe our moment in the life of this woman, a different unnamed woman here in Matthew 15, who reaches out in a way and grabs hold of Jesus in the midst of her complications, in the midst of her obstacles, in the midst of her pain. Matthew chapter 15, we'll read verses 21 through 28 in a message titled, The Call of faith, the call of faith. Matthew 15, follow along as I read, beginning in verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. You know, Jesus had a very distinct um, mission in his life, if you follow the Gospels. In fact, he states it 
pretty clearly, maybe one of the clearest places in the gospel here in the 24th verse, in, in just one sentence, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You want to know what my mission is? This is what my mission is. I was sent by God the Father to Israel. If you look at the, the gospels, read them carefully, even this one, uh, Matthew's gospel, you will notice that Jesus prayed, stayed very true to that. In fact, only two times in the entire gospel story, does Jesus actually walk outside of the geography of the nation of Israel, which is actually very small as it is today. This is one of the two times, only in Matthew's gospel, where Jesus, let's say, wanders beyond the boundaries of the nation of Israel. And here, He finds himself, there's no reason given when Jesus wants to go somewhere, he just goes, right? He doesn't ask permission. But there's no reason given while he's here. But there's some code words in here, right? First of all, we learn that it's, he goes to the region of Tyre and Zidon. Now, that means nothing to us. But if you read your Bible carefully, it's a code word. There's another one in here, a couple in here, which really means Tyre and Zidon is sort of code words in the Bible for pagan land, heathen land, the other side of the tracks, okay? They're arch enemies of the nation of Israel. So Jesus goes to this place, a place that he almost never goes. He doesn't wander outside of Israel. But in this story, he engages this person who's from the other side of the tracks, who happens to be, it says a Canaanite, happens to be a woman, which is also a second-class citizen in this culture. He not only engages her, he grants her request, and beyond that, verse 28, he commends her in a way that he almost only in one other place in all the gospel does he commend someone with this high of a um, descriptor. Oh, woman, you have great faith. Now, one reason I think that he does, and it's one of the first surprises, there are a couple in this passage, it's supposed to surprise us, right? We're already surprised that Jesus is in this geography, but one of the first surprises to me is how informed this woman's faith was. She breaks into this place, in fact, um, it says in Mark's gospel, it's not in this one, the same story, they're actually in a private house, right? So she just comes into this private house and she says, Lord, L-O-R-D, son of David. Now, this, those, those are pretty significant words. Not only does she call him Lord, which is a significant word in the Old Testament, uh, the Bible of Jesus, but she uses the term, the phrase son of David, which is a, which is a very specific term. It's packed with meaning and it's, it has everything to do with, it's a, it's a descriptor of the nature of who Jesus is, that he's the son of David. It's full of all kinds of prophecies and ideas and it's a summary of the particular nature of the kind of Messiah that he is and what he is really called to do. You might say his mission as the Messiah is wrapped up in those words. Pretty amazing to come from somebody who was a Canaanite, verse 22, who is someone we know had absolutely, um, not only was not, you know, allowed to partake in the promises of God, it's unlikely this woman would have ever traveled the hundred or so miles from Tyre and Zion to Jerusalem, but if she did, do that, she'd have been categorically disqualified from worshiping the God 
of Israel as an unclean person. Yet, even though that's true, she breaks into this house uninvited and she says to Jesus, Lord, son of David, will you help me? Now, just to give us a sense of how unusual this is, because we're trying to learn something from her faith, okay? Imagine, if you could, that you are, I don't know, it's Thanksgiving dinner. I'm gonna pick, do I have to pick on the ciphers once again? I don't know, but it's Thanksgiving dinner. And who, if you're hosting Thanksgiving dinner, and it's not just you, if, if you, you know, it's, it's, your, it's your siblings, and it's your, it's your parents, it's your in-laws. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's maybe there's 10 people, maybe there's 20, maybe there's 30 people there, right? It's a big family gathering, and all the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the preliminaries are over. You're sitting down to have dinner, and just about when you're ready to have dinner, kind of a, a key moment in Thanksgiving, someone doesn't knock on door, they walk in the door. And they walk in the door right into the main dining room. You can tell when they're walking in there, nobody recognizes. Not anyone in there says, hey, Joe, or hey, Mary. No one says anything. Everyone is equally surprised, equally, you know, sort of has this look on their face. But no one says a thing, acknowledges this person. This person walks all the way up to the front, right, Larry, and and kisses your mother-in-law or your mother on her cheek, Let's say she's the matriarch of this dinner party and says, Mom, sorry to interrupt, um, but I really need something from you. Now, let's just say that happened. Nobody in the room knows who this person is. How would that make you feel, right? What in the world are you doing here? Maybe something like the disciples, verse 23. Send this person away, right? She's bothering us. What in the world are you? You have no business in this place. We don't know who you are. Get out of here, okay? That's kind of what is going on here. But here's the interesting thing. Although she had no idea, how could she have known that Jesus Christ, the so-called Messiah, was gonna show up in a place he had never been in his entire life as far as we know, It was enemy territory. He's the Jewish Messiah. She already knows that, or she's using that description. So if she wanted to see him, she'd have to go to his territory. She certainly wouldn't have expected him to show up here, right? But here's the thing we can learn from this woman. Although she didn't know he was going to come here, right? She knew what to look for if he did. She knew what to expect if he did. Do you know what to look for? Do I know what to look for? I think this question or this, this, this story asks us three very important questions or poses three important questions to us. Here's the first one. Have you done your homework on the promises of God, right? This is what we learned from this woman. Have you done your homework on the promises of God? If God were to show up in your life, in your pain, in your obstacles, in your complications, in your desperation, Whatever that might be. I'm not talking about uh, the, the physical, literal Jesus walks into a dinner party. I'm saying, in a manner of speaking, would you recognize him, his presence, his truth, his love, his wisdom, if he showed up in your life? Have you done your homework on the promises of God? This woman, who didn't go to yeshiva, who didn't belong to the nation of Israel, apparently she did. Now, It gets better. Verse 22, she says, Lord, son of David. The first response is not so inviting, right? 
Jesus is quiet. The disciples say, get out of this dinner party. You don't belong. But then she has another crack, verse 25. The woman came. She wouldn't take no for an answer, right? The woman came and knelt before him. That's Jesus. Lord, help me, she said. And then Jesus says, I have to believe. One of the strangest things that Jesus ever said in the Gospels. If you read commentators, they would agree. Lord, I need your help. God, I need your help. Jesus, can you help me out? You're the, you're the, you know, you're the, 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 the man who, uh, the, the, however that song goes, the, the, the lover from Galilee or whatever. I'm, I'm really stretching here. But anyway, the point is, uh, you're the, you, you, you love everybody. Can you help me? It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Boy, not what I ever hoped I'd hear from Jesus someday, okay? And even though there's 2,000 years between us and in, 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 in um, the writing of this uh, gospel and this event, you know, this is one of those things that doesn't need a whole lot of interpretation, okay? There's some here, but this is not a friendly statement. And when he talks about the children, the children here are the Jewish people. I don't think you need to be a Bible scholar to figure that out. Right? He just got done saying in verse 24, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. They are the children. And thank you for your help. I'm, it's nice that you're desperate. I'm not going to throw you out of this dinner party, but it's not right for me to give the children's food and toss it to the dogs. Okay, now, you're thinking, Rob, how are you going to get out of this one? Okay, now, some people would say, maybe you would, I would, scholars would, that in a sense, Jesus is being rude. Doesn't seem to fit him. If not only rude, he's downright offensive, right? I don't know how you could not be there. But let me ask you a question before we, before we press through this quickly about you and about me because you're supposed to find yourself in this woman's shoes. I'm supposed to find myself in this woman's shoes. Let me ask you this. Is there room enough in your relationship with God for offense, right? In other words, does God have the right, the creator of the universe, the author of scripture and your maker and mine, does he have a right to challenge you, to, to, to provoke you, maybe to challenge your thinking, right? Because I think that's part of what's going on here. And if you don't serve a God who's big enough to challenge your thinking or anytime he steps out and says something that you don't approve, you don't like, that rubs you the wrong way, well, I'm done with him. Well, then you're done with your own growth, right? With living on purpose. Do, is there enough room in your relationship with God for him to offend you? I would say this to you, not my wisdom alone, okay? This is not a rude statement that Jesus is saying to send this woman away like his disciples want to. This is a small parable to provoke this woman to think. Okay, and I would say this too. We'll get to, I'll show you what I mean by that. He wants her to think. He wants you to think when you read the word of God, when someone looks you in the face and asks you something difficult. He wants you to think about the implications of your faith, right? He wants, and this is not just for her, Keep in mind the small audience. It's also for the disciples who apparently, according to this passage, in a manner of speaking, have already stopped thinking, haven't they? 
in a manner of speaking. They've all, this woman that's at the center of this passage is this Canaanite woman. I think in the grander scheme of the gospel, Jesus is going beyond the, out, the, uh, the geography of Israel to the rest of the world. We all know where this is headed. He's expanding their thinking. He's expanding my thinking. But see, the disciples have already stopped thinking. They've already made a judgment. This woman doesn't belong here. She has nothing to do with us. Send her away. Next event, Jesus, right? I think many of us, maybe, are so locked in our thinking, in our judgments. Maybe our judgments about God, right? Who he is, what he thinks about. Maybe our judgments about the church. Maybe our judgments about people in our life. Maybe about God's word, right? Verse 28, six is God's word. It is not right to take the children's bread and cast the dogs. Is God's word for this woman. But see, some of us have already made judgments about God's word. This isn't for me. This isn't right. I don't agree. I agree with this. I don't agree with that. But let me tell you something. If that's where you are, like the disciples, you're on your way to a hard heart. And a hard heart is a guarantee that you will not progress. You will not grow. You will not experience what it is that God has for you. Okay? That's the danger. That's the warning. This woman, verse 26... This little parable. She sees and understands the mission of Jesus Christ better than the disciples do. See, this little parable, this, these, this one sentence, it's a, it's a summary of the message of Jesus Christ. And she knew that. Because Lord, son of David... Say if you do your homework. She says, I know what David is. David goes all the way back to, you know, to, to Jacob and Esau, or excuse me, Jacob and, and, and Isaac and Abraham, okay? They all ties together. And Abraham is the father of many nations. And the whole purpose of Israel, I have not been sent but to the lost sheep of Israel, is to ultimately, through their faithfulness to God, to invite everybody else to the table. And all this woman is saying is, listen, Jesus, I know you're the central character in the drama that's being written in the Old Testament. I know you're the central character. You're the son of David. And all I'm asking you to do is to take this promise that's on the verge and pull it a little bit forward because I have a need and I'd like you to meet it. Okay? That's what she's doing. Isaiah 49, verse 6. Listen carefully to these words. Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant? This is a messianic prophecy about the Messiah, 700 years old at the time of this encounter with this woman. Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you, it's, it's, the, it's the Yahweh of the Old Testament making a prophecy about his, the Messiah, the servant, the son of God. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Okay, that's all she's doing. See, many of us, I would suggest, are blind to God's presence we don't know the promises. We haven't done our homework. Therefore, we can't take hold of them, right? Well, what are some of those promises? Let me give you a very quick list, okay? I just pulled these out for sake of time. I don't have a lot of time, right? But there are so many of them. 
His presence is always with you. His love will never leave you. He will always forgive you. His power is is yours for the asking. He will guide you in the right ways and on and on and on. But see, if you don't know the promises, you're not gonna be able to take hold of them in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your challenge, in the midst of your pain, okay? Have you done your homework on the promises of God? Second thing this passage teaches us, this woman teaches us, do you know how to listen to God's voice? You see, as I said a minute ago, a lot of us, we don't listen because our circumstances, our surroundings, maybe our pain is louder than the voice of God, right? Do you know how to listen to God's voice? I'm not sure if I put myself in this woman's shoes. If I would have ever gotten past the first no. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Put yourself in that dinner party. Jesus did not answer her a word. Crickets. Ever felt like that? And if, 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 God, if you've ever felt God has silent, did it make you think immediately, God didn't love you, God didn't care about you, God's not for me, let's go home, I'm done with church, I'm done with the Bible, it, God's not interested in me. If you would have done that, if that's how you would respond, you'd have missed out on the promises of God. You'd have missed out on your request being granted. You'd missed out on the commendation of well done, good and faithful servant. You're a model of faith, right? First she gets the silent treatment from Jesus, then... Oh my goodness, these wonderful people, Peter, James, John, wow, don't you love these guys? Send her away before she keeps crying out after us. Get rid of this noisy woman. Who is this person? Who invited you to this dinner party? You got no business here, right? Get out of here, right? But she doesn't do that. Instead, It's as if she doesn't hear those things. Here's what she doesn't hear. Jesus didn't say anything so wonderful yet, but he didn't say no. And he also didn't take his disciples' advice, right? He didn't send her away. So she got back down on her knees, verse 25, and she said, I'm gonna keep after it. Lord, help me. What does it mean to listen to the voice of God? From this passage, it means at least this. You need to be able to look past the obstacles. You need to look past your own suffering. You need to look past the criticism of others, even the criticism of your own heart and your own head, and do what you can to keep listening to the voice of Jesus. uh, 1 Kings 19, many of you know this story. Elijah the prophet, toughest character. I mean, if there was a man's man in the Old Testament, it was Elijah until Jezebel got on his tracks, right, if you know that story. He has this great victory against the, the prophets of Baal. It's the Super Bowl for the prophet. He's the king, he, or the king prophet. He's, he does it. It's the greatest victory you could have. Then he finds out this woman with a lot of powers after him, and he's on the run, and he's all depressed and sad, and he's under a tree, and he's sad, and an angel of the Lord comes to him, gives him a meal, and says, go to the mountain of God. And he runs 40 miles to the mountain of God. When he gets to the mountain of God, an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, 
what's your problem? What's going on? He gives, he, he gives his big litany, you know? Well, uh, you know, all the, angels, the prophets came out, uh, uh, the, the enemies of God came out against the, the, the God of Israel, and we had this big uh, bake-off there, you know, and all went well, but, you know, nobody serves you but me, you know? And then the, the, the angel of the Lord says, I want you to go to the, to, the door, to the front of that mountain over there, the mountain of God. And you know this story, but this, it's, an, it's an illustration. And it says there was this huge wind, you know, like the trees were almost uprooted out of, and he says, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then there was an earthquake. Wow. I mean, the rocks were breaking and splitting in two, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Then there was this fire, right? But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And then there was a still small voice, right? That said, this is the plan and this is what I want you to do, right? This is woman, this woman illustrates this, right? What does it mean to listen to the voice of God? It means you need to do your homework enough so that when God, God's not gonna turn the volume down in your circumstances. God's not gonna turn the volume down on your troubles. God's not gonna turn the volume down on your pain. That's not the way it works. You need to turn the volume up on the voice of God. And you'll be able to listen to what he has to say through those obstacles, through those sufferings, through those criticisms. Some of us think, I don't know if this is your case, not this woman's, that if God really loved you, there'd be no suffering in your life, there'd be no difficulties in your life, there'd be no silent treatment in your life, there'd be no hard sayings in your life from the word of God. But if you believe that, let me tell you something, you'd be wrong. And you'd miss out on the promises of God. Last point, application of this message. Are you desperate enough to ask God for what you need? That's what we learned from this woman. Are you desperate enough? What impresses me about this woman in this story, doesn't even give her name, the Canaanite woman. What impresses me about it is she's not only in touch with her pain, see? See, some of us aren't in touch with our pain because we just live in a culture where we don't need to be. Right? Man, we got every kind of TV and drug and food and, and I mean, we don't need to be. But see, if you're not in touch with your pain, you're never gonna grow, Right? She's not only in touch with her pain, she's desperate enough to do whatever it takes to get to the one person who can help her with her pain and her desperation, which is Jesus, right? How hard do you work? How hard do I work to get to Jesus, okay? That's what we learned from this passage. This is the call of faith. See, the truth is if you sit long enough in your pain, no matter how hard you work to avoid it or medicate it, it will kill you, okay? I saw this article, maybe you saw it in the paper um, last week. The actor Ben Affleck, Affleck. It's not a different commercial, no, but anyway. Uh, uh, he, he, uh, he made a movie, I don't even know the name of it, I don't think it's out yet. I read the article, I just forgot the name of it, but it's about an alcoholic dad who's trying to make his way in the world. And the whole point of this long article, though, was that there was a lot of uh, points of, uh, of connection, reflection in his own life. He just went through a messy divorce. He's been in and out of rehab, I think, even once last year. The title of the article said this, Ben Affleck tried to drink away the pain. I love this. Now he's trying Honesty. That's what he said. People with compulsive behavior, and I am one, 
have this kind of basic discomfort all the time that they're trying to make go away. You're trying to make yourself feel better with eating or drinking or sex or gambling or shopping or whatever. But that ends up making your life worse. Then you do more of it to make that discomfort go away. Then the real pain starts. It becomes a vicious cycle you can't break. That's at least what happened to me. Now, I don't know what, what's next for Ben Affleck. I don't know a thing about him. But he's, he's on the right track, right? He's trying honesty. And he's also right in this sense. It's a vicious cycle that you can't break. Let me tell you something. If a zillion, a million, million uh, dollar movie star got it all together, can't break it, it's probably going to be true for many of us, right? So money's not the answer. Fame's not the answer. Power's not the answer. It's a vicious cycle that you can't break on your own, right? We learn from these wonderful testimonies. On your own. But if you're willing, okay, this is the challenge, to be vulnerable. Was this woman vulnerable? Oh, my goodness, It'd be one thing if she had this big drama in, in, in down, in, down there in Jerusalem, which no one knows her and who cares? She doesn't, no one, she's, she, her friends don't read the Jerusalem Times. This is her hometown. She busted into this house. Let me tell you something. There was no walking this one back, right? If Jesus said, get out of here, you dog. Send this woman away, right? That would have been the, what everyone thought about her. This woman was vulnerable, Am I willing to be vulnerable? Am I, are you willing to be vulnerable? Are you willing, am I willing, to stop blaming other people for your problems, right? You don't even, you know, we don't need people to blame for our problems because life is complicated. Life is difficult. Life is challenging, you know? The book of Job, man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. I love that verse. I hate that verse, but I love it because it's true. Right? Man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. Right? But if you want to move forward, right, you can avoid your pain, you can blame other people, or you can get honest. Take a, take a tip from Ben Affleck. You can try honesty and vulnerability. And if you do that, right, Jesus can help you. And let me say this last before we pray. It's... You might say, well, I, don't, I, I love all those great testimonies, but see, I don't, I don't have any addictions. I'm, I'm good, okay? But there's quiet pain, too, right? It's the long, quiet, living for other people's approval kind of pain. It's the, you know, anxiety pain. It's the, um, you know, constant fear of failure pain. It's the loneliness pain. And let me say this. You need to be desperate to deal with your pain. I need to be desperate to deal with my pain. I also need to be desperate for other people. You know this great story? You know what this woman's problem was? It wasn't her. It was all for her daughter, right? Her daughter. Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly, right? 
this whole passage is about the greater message of Jesus, the, the mission, what the real mission of Jesus is. See, this is a test. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Oh, really? When I read back there, the son of David is the, is the promise of Abraham to reach all of the world. Ah, so, you're right. You got it, right? That's what he's trying to say. Some of us need to be desperate. Yes, in our own pain, we need to be desperate for other people. Are you desperate to see your son, your daughter-in-law, your friend, your neighbor, the person you teach with or play football with or basketball with or hockey with or whatever? Are you desperate to get them to Jesus? Amen? So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to close this service. I'm going to pray right now. Take a minute to pray. And I want to challenge you in just a minute or two to grab a hold of your pain, right? Put a name to it, whatever it is, whether it's an acute addiction or something more subtle. And I want you to, in, in quiet at this moment, I want you to bring your pain to Jesus. In other words, in a prayer, bring it to Jesus. Lord, I'm bringing this to you. And I want you to be louder than the pain in my life. So I want you to identify it. And I'm going to, whether you're a Christian, long-term Christian, whether you're a new-to-the-faith Christian, maybe you're not a Christian at all. We all can apply this message. I'm going to lead us in a moment of prayer. And then when I say amen, I'm going to be standing down on that uh, uh, platform on the, uh, with our, some of our elders. And while we sing, I want to encourage some of you, right? Get bold. Get vulnerable. Get, get gutsy. And just come forward in a few minutes, right? And let somebody pray for you, right? Put an arm on your shoulder. You don't tell them a story. Let them pray for you. God knows the pain that you have. Allow someone to voice a prayer over you. Amen? Let's pray right now. Every head bowed, every eye is closed, okay? Let me first address those of you in this room who maybe say, you know, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I'm like the woman who walked into this place. I know Jesus is the Son of God, but I've never made him the Lord of my life. I want you to pray a prayer right now in the silence of of your seat, okay, just between you and God. Pray this prayer. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world, into my life. I bring my sin to you today and all my pain and ask that you would forgive me and heal me. Today, by faith, I am your son, I am your daughter, and you are my heavenly father. Help me to become more like Jesus starting today. Okay? If that's your story, head bowed, eyed closed, I want you to raise your hand right where you are. If you prayed that prayer, be bold, be honest. Thank you. Thank you. Raise your hand high. I want to see it. Thank you. Across the room. The rest of us, let us pray. Father, I bring you today the pain or suffering that has been a barrier to better knowing you and to experiencing a greater freedom and purpose in my life. Be the Lord of my life and my troubles and help me become more like Jesus. Amen.